Right, the next missionary that we have um, has come all the way from Italy, and we're very excited to have Joe Hunziker here. Uh, his wife, Stefania, is uh, back at home, uh, but Joe has been working in ministry his entire life, or his entire adult life, I should say. Uh, he was in Africa for a while with Wycliffe Ministries uh, before moving with his wife to Rome and serving as a youth pastor, as a teaching elder and pastor at a church there uh, before 2009 when he was uh, called to Camp Isola. Uh, and he's been serving there since then. Uh, the Lord has brought him through many things. I'm, I'm very excited uh, that Joe can come and share with us. Uh, I also want to make mention that uh, even though uh, Joe couldn't bring Stefania. He brought perhaps the next best thing. Uh, and so uh, Tony is here with Joe. And Tony is a biology professor in Italy. And he holds uh, many conferences in Italy on creationism. Uh, he'll be around taking pictures. Uh, so uh, smile. Uh, and uh, if you would, Tony, go ahead and stand up so everybody can welcome you and say hello and or, or clap. Um, and so, uh, yeah, here comes Joe. Thank you. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to be back here. Folks, I'm in trouble here because I cried already more than I cried in the last few months just this morning because the Lord is moving. You know, I don't know. David didn't know anything about what I'm talking about. I didn't feel quite sure if I should talk about this, and he just chose the right songs this morning. What Ray, uh, Roy told this morning is just moving, and, well, we'll see what the Lord will do, and we'll get through it. <laughs> I just want to show you a few pictures so you know where I'm coming from. This is my family. Unfortunately, I couldn't bring them along, but I'm very glad they are back home praying for us, and it's great. Last time they were with us. I hope next time they will be with us again. I'm coming from this spot. It's a camp. We have more or less 200 beds for campers, uh, three buildings. This is more or less the facility. It's on a very small ground, only two acres. But, in fact, where I took the picture from, it's already the grounds of the neighbor. But <laughs> we are doing... They're the Lord's work, and it's very exciting to be there. Right now, it looks like this. No, this is the mountain we have in the backyard. That's just the, the view we have. It's a very nice place, the highest mountain of the Apennine chain in Italy, Grand Sasso. It's almost um, 10,000 feet high. And right now, it looks like this. There's a lot of snow. We got all the snow you miss here. We have four-foot snow over there. And it's very exciting. It's not very normal. In the last 50 years, it didn't do that much snow, but the kids like it. They had two weeks off of school because they couldn't get the kids to school with all this snow. And just the next picture. This is just the, a camp we had this winter, and I show it to you because these kids, they came up, and they came from several different difficult situations, and... Last night, Saturday night, uh, we had some testimony time and they stood up and talked about what the Lord has done in their life and how he changed their lives. But then, you know, when you have this 
very nice times you experience God's grace and just everything fits and everything is fine and everything is great. You really don't want to go back. But yet, Sunday morning after lunch, they had to go back. And I knew they had to go back into broken families, difficult situations. And so the Lord gave me these words I want to talk to you, uh, I want to share with you this morning. And I told them just to encourage them that the Lord will be with them and help them. So this is just a little bit about the introduction, why I'm talking about what I'm about to talk. But uh, I want to mention to you, in case you can stay with us in the afternoon, when I will talk more about the camp, there is a, a flyer in the back. Just grab one so you can read a little bit about what I'm about to say, to say in the afternoon. And for all of you, there is some... Italian chocolate, not Swiss chocolate, because I'm Swiss by nature, but uh, there's some Italian chocolate, Nutella, one for each of you, so just you remember the, the sweet things about Italy as well. <coughs> so, as I said, I don't know if it's the same with you over here, but in life there are sufferings, and it's tough to face them, and the question I ask myself how do we face suffering? How do we go through them? And so that's why we want to turn to Romans chapter 8 in our Bibles. I won't read the whole text, but go through it uh, verse by verse and just talk about uh, what the Lord put on my heart on it. But Paul starts out this chapter with uh, saying, There is therefore no condemnation. And then he speaks about life and spirit he encourages us what the Spirit does to us and how it works. And that the, uh, at a certain point he says, well, the Spirit tells our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, we are heirs and joint heirs of Christ. And then he says something special. If we indeed suffer with him. And then he goes on and he says, in this pre present time, I don't consider the sufferings of this present time and then he goes on talking about suffer sufferings and later on he talks to the Romans to the Roman believers about suffering about uh, being slaughtered like uh, sheep and they were facing persecution maybe some of their relatives have been facing lions or gladiators in the Colosseum others might, might have been thrown into jail Others might have been put on a stick and put on fire to light up the streets and the squares of Rome. Roman believers were facing persecution. In fact, uh, later on, Paul tells them, bless the ones that persecute you. So they knew about suffering. They know what suffering means. But then, when we suffer, or when somebody else suffers around us, and we don't know what to say. We, didn't, we don't really know how to explain it. Did it happen to you that you quoted, well, we know that all things work to the good for those who love God. And it's the right application of this verse. That's okay. But what's the good? What is the good for those who love God. Then you have to go to the next verse, 29, and it says what the good is. To be conformed to the image of his Son. 
That's what life is all about. That's the highest goal. That's what the Lord has in mind for you and me. All things in his life, the whole life, he's working for one thing, to change us in the image of his son. So, next question. I'm kind of logical, but next question. How was the son? How is the son? How did he go through suffering? How did he do? How did he manage? Because we are in the context of suffering. Romans suffered. Well, what he did, he always glorified God. He always was bringing glory to God, to the Father. He was pointing, exalting the Father. For example, in John 17:4, just the night before he was crucified, he prayed and he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. What means bringing glory to God? What do we means glorifying God? We use these terms, but sometimes we don't know what it is. I told the kids, glory has to do with the character of God. Glory is the thing, usually uh, explained and described, in, especially in the Old Testament, as something shining, something a light that comes from God. It's the thing of the character of God that we can uh, perceive, that we can recognize, that we can uh, understand as human beings, so it has to be about uh, it has to do about love it has to be it has to do about uh, about justice, holiness, whatever irradiates from God and we as human beings can take that 's the glory and glorifying him or bringing glory to him we don 't have to bring something to him so he 's holier or so he is he laughs more we don 't have to do that, but what we do is just pointing at the goodness of God. We are pointing at the holiness of God in each and every context. That's glorifying God. That's bringing glory to God. So, Paul wants to understand us, and it's very simple. He wants to understand us three truths that help us to cope with suffering, that help us to go through life, that help us to glorify God. And if we understand, if you can memorize, if you can embrace these three truths that I would like to talk about with you, these three truths will, will change your life. They will change your attitude towards life. They will make you missionaries in your environment, among your neighbors, at university, among your colleagues at work. They will make you be different face life in a different way. And you know, when I thought about these thoughts and about these uh, three truths, I recognize that many of you I've known have gone through and may, may still go through difficult times, and many of you have shaped my thoughts and my opinions about suffering and how to live suffering. So I'm very grateful for what you have been, how you have been a testimony to me. But let's go back to the text first truth we have to remember and we have to learn is in verse uh, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Sorry. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question that, starts, that states that God is for us. The sentence 
who can be against that as does not mean that there is no opposition. The Romans faced opposition and they knew about opposition. But Paul says, who can win God? Who can conquer, defeat us on a spiritual level if we are with God? Who can measure up with God and defeat us being on his side? If God is for us, who can be against us? In fact, the first truth we have to remember, and if you take notes or, or if you want to learn them by heart, the first truth is God gives you everything because you are on his side. Now, Paul tells us why we can be sure that he is for us. Read with me verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other, wor in other words, Paul says, if God has already given the most precious thing, his own son, to redeem us, to have his on his side, do you think now he will not be for us? Do you think he will not be for us now? You think, how may we even think that he would let us wrestle alone with the risk that we might be overcome and that he might lose us? He surely will not. That would be a stupid thing. He gave the most precious thing to have us on his side to redeem us. How would he not give us everything to overcome difficulties in life? Not only shall we... But uh, yeah, he will give us everything to overcome difficult uh, times in life. That's why I say God gives us everything we need to overcome difficult times because we are on his side. Now, there are a lot of kids and you like to play video, video games. Isn't it way easier to win a battle if you have the unbeatable weapon in your hand? It's easy to face a battle, isn't it? Isn't it easy to go through desert if you are guaranteed that water supply will be given so you can make it to the end? Will it be not way easier to go through sufferings, to face sickness, hardship, knowing that He, the Almighty, grants you everything you need to get across it, to get through sufferings, glorifying Him till you are with him in heaven. So you can say, even when sorrows roll like pillows, it is well with my soul. Why? Because he is good. Because his mercy will endure forever. He guarantees to equip, to give you freely all things you need. Let me tell you, what he will equip you with. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Remember this list? He go, I would go on and say, he will cast out fears. He will strengthen you to forgive. And let it make it a little bit more practical. 
just a story. There's Giuseppe, 37 years, great fellow, cooking for 700, 700 meals a day. He has three little girls, nice wife. He is on flame for the Lord. He loves unbeliever, uh, unbelievers to get them saved. He's involved in church. He comes up to me and says, Joe, I would like to come and team up with you at the camp. I know you're without the cook for the last five years. So I say, that's great. Let's pray about it. His church got to pray about. He was doing double work to get support, to raise money. They were preparing for it, and so did we. July 18th, last summer, he worked late at night till almost midnight. Then he went home with his uh, bike, and it stopped. So he had to push it over a little uh, bridge. And some other bikers, they came and helped to push up the bike. So when he was on the top to roll it down and s get it started again, he put it up and went back to these guys and thanked them. And while he turned around and was about to mount on his uh, bike again, a car just, a car just carried him away 60 foot down the road. He woke up 30 days after he has been in coma. Couldn't speak, couldn't breathe. Lost almost all of his memory. He was about at a boy of two years, just moving very difficult. And a couple months later, we went to visit him. Three girls played around in the hospital, happy that just as nothing would be have been happened. His wife was there at the bed and was just radiating, radiating from joy and happiness. And he asked her across the bed, Enza, how can you cope with it? What did you learn in this situation? And she looked at me and said, God has been good with us. God is good. Can you tell me of a situation of a better way of glorifying God? Or another story that happened over here in America. Royal Pack, a missionary to Italy, was on furlough here with his wife and son, 16 years. Uh, and he had to leave him with his uh, sister. The boy had uh, diabetes. He had to leave him for a weekend. He had to travel. So the sister of Roy, of Royal, told the boy when he went out Saturday night, 11 p.m., I locked the door. If you're late, you will sleep outside. The boy made it for 11.05. Door was locked. He slept on the doorstep. A step. He got sick and died very soon after. Royal got the strength, was equipped from the Lord, was, giving, was given everything he needed to forgive his sister. A few years later on, his sister fell sick. Royal took her in his home and was looking after her 24-7. 
until she died. So what shall we say about these things? Asks Paul in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He will freely equip us with everything we need to go through suffering, glorifying him till we are at the end. But what happens? Not all of us, at least me, are that strong in faith. And what happens when you fail in a moment of despair? You start to complain instead of exalting the goodness of God. You even might get angry at God or doubt that he will give you everything. What happens when the enemy or your conscience starts to accuse you of your failure, of your little face? What happens? Read with me verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And this is the second point. Let, just me, let, just, uh, let me just pronounce it and I will explain it later on. God justifies you. That's the second point. You are safe. First point, God gives you everything you need. You are on his side. Second point, God justifies you. You are safe. <coughs> Another ret rhetorical question. Who will accuse you? Oh, there are many, many things that are, uh, are accusing you, aren't there? Doesn't it happen that when we fail, we feel the accusation coming up or the enemy is accusing us? This winter, as I said, I had all these kids up at the camp. And at testimony, they stood up. There was a little girl, 13 years old, beautiful girl, marvelous voice, incredible. She stood up and said, this camp really changed my life, and it freed me. And I'm happy to live again, because I was about to kill myself. I tried to kill myself. Her boyfriend made her sleep with her, him. She thought it would be fun, but it became a nightmare. It became a heavy load on her that almost crashed her. She just couldn't forgive herself and felt guilty and felt uh, dirty. So she started not to eat anymore. Her parents would notice the difference, but didn't know what was wrong and didn't know anything. She was falling in depression, and as I said, she tried to kill herself. She would take medicine against depression. Her parents didn't know anything about it. She felt accused. She couldn't forgive herself. There is a young man, 22 years old, very talented, nice man. Again, the same thing. He felt so accused. He felt so um, guilty in front of God. And he too wouldn't eat anymore. He, felt, he just felt these feelings of being guilty. And he told me, you know what I did, Joe? I didn't want to feel these feelings anymore. I didn't want to hear the voice that was accusing me. So I took a hammer and slashed it on my knees so I would, I would feel the physical pain and not the emotional pain. 
with just a few stories, I could add more to them. So that's why I talked to them and said, God, who will accuse the ones who love God, the ones who are saved? God will justify them. So read with me again, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God? God's elect. It is God who justifies. For all your faults, your weaknesses, your doubts, your impatience, entrails, your whining, your acting in the flesh instead of being controlled by the Spirit, our not behaving like chi children of God, for all of this, we have somebody that justifies us. Even if you do not deserve it, even if you have done it again, and then the only thing you would deserve is to be condemned, the truth of God is that he will justify you every time for anything. That's amazing grace. Not because God closes an eye on it, because you are, generally speaking, pretty good. You're coming to church, you're reading your Bible, you're giving your offerings. No. But look at verse 34. But because Christ died, it says, who is condemning us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This is called grace. Being treated not as we deserve, but in spite of our, our mistakes. God is justifying the ones that, he, that are his. Why can we be sure that he will do that? Why can we be sure that he will justify us? That's in verse 34, the second part, Christ was risen. This means God is satisfied with his uh, sacrifice, so he raised him up. This is the proof that God is completely justified. Our penalty is paid. If God wouldn't have been justified, if we would have to add something on, if we would have to do something, he would have let, left him uh, in the grave, but he didn't. So... You are justified. Nothing, nothing can be held against you. When I say that we are, uh, we are all justified, I don't mean my mistake, my behaving carnally is legitimated. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and he will restore our dignity. We are rehab rehabilitated as his beloved children and will not have to pay the penalty. Somebody might say, as at Paul's day, well, so if God justifies us always, let us continue in sin that grace may be abundant. By no means, says Paul. This is not what it is all about. Understanding this amazing grace this being treated as we do not deserve makes us to be in love with him. And here we are at the third uh, truth that we will look at together. First truth, 
God gives us everything we need to overcome, to go through sufferings and, glorif uh, and glorifying him because he is for us. Second truth, God justifies us, not because we are good, but because uh, Christ died for us. You are safe. God will justify you. The third th uh, truth, God loves you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Verse uh, 35. Who shall separate us from, God's, from, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? And so he goes on with the sufferings the Romans were about to suffer. But he says in th uh, verse 37, No, in all these things, and listen well, in all these things. That means when we suffer them, when we are right in there in the suffering. He doesn't say, well, you just pray and the sufferings will pass and you will be conqueror. You will be the great uh, uh, that doesn't suffer anything. He says, no, in there. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, or nothing present, nor nothing to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from God, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing, not one, of your failures, not one sin you did in the past or you might do in the future, no difficult thing, nor, no suffering, no angel, nor death or life that will change the decision of God to love you. God loves us. Sorry, God's love is like a strong river that is just, that you can't stop, that surrounds you, engulfs you, it takes you away with it. There is absolutely nothing that can separa separate you from God's love. You are loved by God if you do good or bad. He loves you if you respond to his love or if you ig ignore it. If you, are, if you have something to offer to him, if you come in his presence with empty hands, he will still love you. Even so, you will come maybe with dirty hands. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can ever separate you from his love. Obviously, if you live in sin, you won't feel his love. But we know that he is faithful and righteous to forgive us if we go back and confess, and he will grant us the full harmony of his love again. You cannot have done anything in the past or something in the future that makes you lose your salvation, that may, may separate you from his love. There is nothing. Again, this sounds almost heretical, but it's not. It's amazing grace being treated as we do not deserve. So somebody says again, 
Apostle Paul, if you grant us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, then we do not worry too much about sin. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means, says Paul. In the contrary, he writes to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us. He died for all, he died for all, that those who live might not longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. These truths, they are not a license to sin, but they should just bring us to love God and to respond to his love and to stand up when we failed when we missed, go back, ask for forgiveness, and know, and know that He will forgive us and that He will continue to love us as He did up to that point. What a wonderful certainty. God loves me. Nothing can change His idea of loving me, even with all my mistakes. Unconditional love. That's actually what, all, what we are all looking for. So let me just sum it up. There is suffering in this present time, in this world. We have to be rea uh, realistic and say, yes, there are. And Paul didn't say, you just pray, you just maybe fast and they will pass. No. But he gives us three reasons and three truths how we can excel, be more than conquerors in it. And you know, our neighbors and our colleagues, our friends at school, they'll see it. It was mentioned also this morning when Jesus said to his disciples that they should, shall, let uh, shine their light in their life. It's not our light. It's not what we can do. He enlightened us and gave us light to shine. So people may see the good works. And so they may see that even though we are suffering, we point to Christ, we point to God and say, He is good. Even so, we do not understand. God gives you everything you need to overcome suffering, to go through suffering, because he is on your side. Second truth, God, will justi God justifies you. You are safe. Just come back, ask for forgiveness, and he will justify you. Because Christ died. Because Christ paid the penalty for us. And the third truth God loves you. There is nothing, absolutely nothing in this world that can separate you from his love. May we understand and really embrace this truth and face life with this truth in our hearts and glorifying God, whatever happens and be in this way missionaries 
wherever God puts us, school, home, neighbors. Let's just understand and walk with him knowing this truth. Amen.